0: I believe it was somewhere around 30 years ago that uh, had some things kind of burning a hole in my heart, and it was the beginning of the year, and I decided to preach a New Year sermon, and then I kept doing it, and it has become um, some years a joyful tradition, some years like a burden, Uh, what am I going to say, some years... Oh, what am I going to cut out from the 50 things that I want to say? It's always a bit of an adventure, but we're going to do it again this year. Amazing how we'll change a number on a calendar and think that something has changed when it really hasn't. But I love to help people get a, a perspective on things that um, we are one local church, one Fellowship, a delightful fellowship of, of God's people. By the way, in this calendar year we're going to turn 20. Heritage Bible Church will have its 20th anniversary this fall, so figure out what kind of cake you're going to make for that. But let's, uh, uh, let's keep this perspective and understand we are part of something way bigger than us. We have brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world in fellowships like this or similar to this. We are part of something that is way older than us. This has been going on for nearly 2,000 years. And so it, it is, a, it, it is a, a at least short-sighted thing, I'm tempted to say, a sinful thing for people to want to get away from all of the traditions. That'd be like saying, oh, don't invite grandma this year to Thanksgiving, I mean... You know, that's not our generation. She's not cool. We don't want to have a perspective like that. So let's start with a cliche, shall we? Last year was unprecedented. Well, they all are, if you think about it. Um, We do know that we are closer than ever to the rapture, and that's a good thing. Um, More than ever, we know that around the world the table is set for the circumstances that will bring the Antichrist to world power after God removes His church from the world. That too is a good thing because it is the unfolding of God's plan. We have in these last couple of years seen God use and Overblown reaction to a virus as a test case to show how the entire population of the planet can be manipulated and made to kowtow to to panic and to give up freedom out of fear. I think it's easier than ever for us to uh, to see. Plausibly how the, the great deception mentioned in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 can occur. Now on that front, uh, I have to say 2022 was less of a debacle than 2020 and uh, 2021. But all the bad things about the, the powers of ungodly governments and unsaved people in crucial positions of authority, all those things continue to simmer And there will come the day that the heat will be turned back up and they will come back and it'll be just as bad as it was, only worse. In 2022, in our country, we did see some very significant things unfold. In the U.S., Christians and many others rejoiced when the Supreme Court Overturned one of its worst ever decisions, the 1973 Roe versus Wade decision, in which the Supreme Court made up something that is not in the Constitution and supposedly found this right to abortion. Um, now the now that that has been repealed, and that was the right thing to do because it was a wrong decision on the wrong basis and it was totally anti-God. But now that the that decision has been overturned and this alleged right to exterminate unborn children is now passed down state by state. And so where people stand is becoming more and more obvious. There are fewer places to hide on that subject. And the battle, I would say, is more intense now than it was before Roe v. Wade was overturned. We now have a a president who is dead set on not even pretending that he has a different agenda. He wants to make sure there are as many abortions as possible in the United States and that you and I are forced to pay for some of them with our taxes. That is a terrible position to hold in the sight of God who knows all about it. Uh, By the way, the mayor of Boise is of exactly the same ilk. Uh, so it's not just, you know, long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away called Washington, D.C. This is here. This is now. There's a battle going on for people who want to demand the right to exterminate unborn children. Our first granddaughters due to be born. Can you even fathom the idea of snuffing out that life? There's always a A devastating thing, not only to the one that dies, but those who make the decisions. And it becomes a gospel opportunity to minister to people who have passed through those horrible waters. Well, fueled by what they perceive as an ominous thing in the overturning of Roe versus Wade, the anti-God folks in our country have rushed to create a law that codifies another abominable Supreme Court ruling, the Obergefell decision from 2015, which uh, again created out of nothing an imagined right that um, so-called same-sex marriage is okay and legal, and there's a right to it. Again, our president belies his claim to be a devout God-fearing Roman Catholic, he's throwing all of his power behind anti-God, anti-reality policies. What a great day to live as an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for the light to be seen when the backdrop is darker and darker. These are the days that God has granted to us to represent him here. Well, the result of that plan was this horribly titled... Respect for, for Marriage Act, which completely disrespects marriage and makes up something that is fantasy in its place. It's even worse than the Obergefell versus Hodges court decision because the new law goes farther than that, than that Supreme Court decision did and it paves the way to legal attacks for criminal prosecution against any individual or group or church which holds to the definition of marriage as one man and one woman. And I don't know if you know, in the process of that, there were uh, a number of proposed amendments to that law to guarantee that people would not be prosecuted for standing on their religious conviction. And they refused to even hear those amendments. They're coming for us. This is the best time ever to be a representative of the kingdom of God and let your light shine because the darker the background, the easier it is to show the light. You know, you can call other things marriage if you want to. You can make them legal if you want to. You just can't make them into reality. The same thing applies to the, uh, the stuff going on about Transgenderism, uh, changing labels, doesn't change reality. Now, gender dysphoria, it is a thing. There are confused people. And there's a a slew of sources in our world seeking to fan the flames of that confusion and get more and more kids uh, involved with it. But the answer to those things is not... um, body altering drugs and surgery it's uh, Jesus Christ that's the answer I read a satirical headline this week that a bicyclist now identifies as a motorcyclist and is winning every race (laughs) in record times now we laugh at that because that is patently absurd and that's exactly the same logic as a man claiming to be a woman or a woman claiming to be a man. Feelings can not change reality. We need to align with reality. Well, also, a, a year ago, we didn't picture Ukraine being invaded and a war going on for so far 10 months. And we didn't picture all the ripples that would, that, that thing would cause across the globe as it drones on. Uh, for my part, I, I did my best impression of the Apostle Paul being lowered over the wall out of Damascus when Jenny Myers whisked me out of Tombov and home from Russia the day after the war broke out and got home about a week ahead of schedule. The geopolitical waves are still impacting the whole world. Our economy is largely affected by what's going on Over there. That unprovoked act of aggression by a wicked dictator has cost thousands of lives, ruined cities, and disrupted not just those people attacked, but international commerce and relations. And it's also changed the course of many ministries. Um, I don't think anyone had plans at New Year last year for changing the entire emphasis of their church's ministry to humanitarian help and evangelism to refugees but heroic believers in that part of the world have done just that and through it all God is building his church there have been whole new churches planted among people who have come to Christ since having been bombed out of their house and their city in Ukraine Though we don't rejoice in the evil but God is at work So yeah, this past year, it it was unprecedented. But that shouldn't be a a surprise to anybody who knows the Bible. As much as we can be certain that this coming year is going to bring new challenges, sometimes totally unexpected things, we'll make our best plans, but we'll submit to the will of God, whatever unfolds. We can rest fully assured that whatever happens, God is in control Our future with Him is secure. He will continue to build the church worldwide into that bride for His Son that He intends for it to be. And as we live through the steady erosion of this culture in which we've lived our lives and blessed lives at that, we know that the degeneration of all of this is just exactly as God said it would be why you would think the Apostle Paul had inside information about our times when he wrote his final canonical letter. We call it Second Timothy. And in Second Timothy chapter 3, the, the, the chapter begins with this, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. And then it sounds like he'd been watching a review of the 10 best movies of last year when he wrote this. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. That's where our world is going. And and you know what? What? There's no reverse gear on cultural erosion. Very rare. It's called revival. Oh, how wonderful that would be. How nice if we had to have services here seven days a week to accommodate the people who are coming to hear the gospel. Well, before we open God's Word further, I I just want to let you know what's going on. This year, as I talked, thought about, you know, I could just talk about the ugly things that happened in 2022, that's just low-hanging fruit. That's too easy. Um, I just wanted to share from a pastor's heart, and I am presuming as I do, that you're here because you belong to Jesus Christ. I am presuming that you have heard the gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. I'm presuming you've not only heard that gospel, but that you trust in Christ and in Him alone for your salvation. I am presuming that you are committed to His church and that your desire is to serve Him and to serve His people for His glory alone. In other words, this is, um, this is an intramural talk. Uh, this isn't evangelism. This is, uh, this is the holy huddle for the family of God. Uh, we're going to have to go through another year, Lord willing. And if you're not fully committed to Christ and to His church, well, hey, I'm also glad that you're here. Listen to what we're talking about. It's not a secret. And then let's get together and talk about why aren't you committed to Christ and what can we do to help you understand what that means and to bring you the joy of freedom from sin and its consequences. So I'm going to share from my heart and I'm going to take us to three primary passages there won't be probably anything new to you if you've been a Christian more than a week um, or a year or whatever I like what Peter says in Second Peter chapter 1 he says I'm always going to remind you of the things that you know and I will keep reminding you of the things you know so that when I'm gone you will be reminded of the things you know You know, this isn't rocket science, but it's the kingdom of God. We need to know the gospel, let the gospel change our lives, live by the gospel's uh, teachings every day, submit ourselves to the word of God, rinse and repeat. If you want to call that New Year's, uh, that's just fine with me. But I want to take us to these three passages under the category of we need to know. Number one, we need to know the woes. We'll go to Isaiah 5 for that. Number two, we need to know how to prove ourselves, Philippians 2. And number three, we need to know what sort of people to be. So let's start with the woes. Through the prophet Isaiah, a little over 700 years before Jesus came, God pronounced, well, there's... A whole lot he pronounced. There's there's 66 chapters of of uh, Isaiah, Um, so it's a it's a big big book. Um, But there are these six woes or these six judgments. Remember, we saw the word woe when we were working in uh, Jude a little while back. It means damnation. The things that God hates, if you will. So God pronounced these six woes against the people of Israel who were failing to respond to his many calls to repentance through Isaiah and others. The judgment of the Babylonian captivity was looming upon them. If you look at a timeline, this was over a hundred years before it actually happened. God always warns with so much patience, and so much compassion. But he gave the warnings and Isaiah wrote them down for us. Now God never changes, so the things that brought His judgment upon His special people Israel will likewise bring judgment today. Now we are not Israel. This is not a series of woes pronounced against a political entity today. We are the church. But we also know from Peter that judgment is to begin at the household of God. We need to pay attention to these things. Uh, Our nation is not the chosen nation of God as was Israel. But still, we need to know what to run away from and we need to know what to call people to repent from just the same today as people did in Isaiah's day. This portion of Isaiah, by the way, is, is uh, written as poetry, quite a bit of the book of Isaiah is, and so you will notice as I put it on the screen, and it should be that way in your Bible if you have a, a quality translation or a quality version of it, um, it, it, it's printed line by line. Now, you can translate poetry, but you, you can't make it rhyme and, and uh, have the, the meter and all of that seventh grade English class. We were doing a section on poetry. And of course, we all loved the section that the day we got to talk about limericks. And one of them was that I learned there once was a gas man named Peter, who, while looking around for the meter, touched the leak with his light. He arose out of sight. (laughs) And as anyone can tell by reading this, he also destroyed the meter. You can't make it rhyme. You can't make it sound like that. But this is God's Word in this um, uh, way of writing, which tends to use a lot of repetition and parallelism. So let me just uh, look at these six woes with you briefly, and you can study them in detail if you'd like. First one is in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 8. It's about dis- disrespecting God's design. Woe to those who add house to house and join field to field until there is no more room so that you have to live alone in the midst of the land. That doesn't make a ton of sense to us, okay? It's not God's law against townhouses joining house to house. But God gave Israel their land with the intention that families would retain what was given to them within their tribe. And by Isaiah's time, wealthy speculators were using legal processes to deprive the poor of what rightfully belonged to them now wicked wealthy people taking advantage of poor people that's been around forever in in every society and we don't have an exact parallel to what isaiah was addressing but by analogy it's safe to say he's he's saying don't ignore the past Don't ignore the history of what God has given to you. We do belong to something that's 2,000 years old, the church of Jesus Christ. And the state of many churches today shows evidence of motivation for um, power and worldly influence and, and, and being cool in this generation rather than maintaining our connection to our roots and being committed to compassion and evangelism in the midst of our world. It's as if many churches not only don't respect history and tradition, they eschew it all together. We don't want to sing those hymns, they're old. Yeah, and those people are the ones that carried the the baton of the cross through their generation to get to you. You owe them. Let's make sure we understand what we're part of and we don't disrespect God's design. Number two, well, you'll have no problem making a connection to this one in our society. Verse 11 of Isaiah 5, Intoxication. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may pursue strong drink, who stay up late in the evening that wine may inflame them. Is there any doubt that pursuit of Pleasure and intoxication is rampant in, uh, in, in our world. Um, talk about something that wasn't around uh, uh, a year or two ago. I was meeting a pastor friend for lunch in Ontario, Oregon. I wanted to make sure I went to the, to the right restaurant, so I pulled up my map, and sure enough, I found the restaurant, and in that, that little picture of a map that you can get on your phone, six marijuana distribution centers. Are we all in both feet societally on silliness or what? Nothing good ever comes to anyone for pursuing the effects of wine or, as it's called here, strong drink, other kinds of liquor, or other drugs even beyond alcohol. I mean, medicine is one thing. That's that's a gift from God that He's allowed us to live with medical things these days, but Um, Don't voluntarily put things into your body that are going to aid you down the path of dishonoring God. Woe number three. Ridiculing the prophet. Woe to those... uh, Verses 18 and 19. Woe to those who drag iniquity, iniquity with the cords of falsehood and sin as if with cart ropes who say... Let him make speed, let him hasten his work that we may see it and let the purpose of the Holy One of Israel draw near and come to pass that we may know it. What he's saying is um, people were mocking Isaiah exactly the same way that Peter describes the mockers in 2 Peter chapter 3. Where's the promise of his coming? You've been saying Jesus is coming but everything just keeps going on. And Peter points out, well, you know, kind of escapes their notice, that flood thing, you know, the total destruction of the entire world. Well, they were mocking Isaiah and they were saying, he's been threatening all these bad things, but where are they? you know let this come to pass so that he can be shown to be right but they didn't want him to be right the idea of their dragging iniquity with the cords of falsehood it's like they're binding up their lies and carrying them along with them they're carrying along their sins with cart ropes uh, they they just wanted to continue in in their wicked ways they were mistaking god's patience as if it meant they weren't guilty And Isaiah wasn't right. Woe number four. This one you'll also connect immediately to. Redefining right and wrong. Isaiah 5.20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. Who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That is our world in a nutshell Our president and our Congress are leading the charge to say unfettered abortion is a good thing for our country, and those who oppose it are evil. Same sex marriage is a good thing, and anybody that doesn't wholeheartedly support it, you're the problem. Evil is good, good is evil, right is wrong, wrong is right, up is down. Down is up. That's our world. We are at what I said sometime back in 22. We are at the end of Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 verse 32 says, Although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. And that's exactly what's being demanded these days. You have to give hearty approval, no resistance to calling evil good and good evil. Woe number five is also quite straightforward. Arrogance and pride. Verse 21, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever, clever in their own sight. Oh, man is so full of himself. Isn't he? The more mankind gains in technology and medicine and engineering and computer science and understanding natural processes, the more that we forget that all of those things are gifts from God, created by God. Uh, no good scientist can possibly deny God. Oh, you can be a good scientist in the technology of it. But if you don't understand that you're studying the handiwork of God, you miss the whole thing. Like one of Marsh's and my favorite songs says, God is not impressed with the loftiness of men. Oh, but we sure are. Proverbs sixteen eighteen: pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Then there's woe number six, judgment corrupted by intoxication. Intoxication scored twice in the list of woes. Verses 22 and 23. Woe to those who are heroes in drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away the rights of the ones who are in the right. Now in Isaiah's time, that was a condemnation of unjust judgments and sentences handed down by drunken judges who could be bribed. I don't think you need to see very many, I don't think it takes much prodding, I should say, for you to see connections to our world's standards. Heroes in drinking wine, watching some of the football games lately, I just think if you removed advertising alcohol from television these days, a lot of entities would go bankrupt. Um, that's our world. And, and we're careening faster and faster down the path toward destruction. God will judge. So run away from and speak truth about what He hates. Understand that we are part of something bigger and older and far more significant than just our sphere of influence, just our Local church. What a privilege we have to be a part of what God is doing. Well, we need to know the woes. Now, let's not just stop mired in the ugliness. What can we do to learn how to prove ourselves? And for this I want to take you to Philippians chapter two, verses fourteen through sixteen. It's all one verse. Philippians two, fourteen to sixteen. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain Now this is addressed to Christians in a very Roman little village, little city, dominated by a uh, military outpost. And they were living in a corrupted and ever more eroding world system, just like ours. He calls it a crooked and perverse generation. Crooked comes from a, a Greek word you almost accidentally know. It's the word skolios. Our medical word, scoliosis, means curvature. You know, you look at an x-ray of somebody's spine from front to back or back to front, it's supposed to be straight. Now there's a curve the other way, but in the way it's supposed to be straight, you don't want to see waves. That's scoliosis, curvature. The world is not straight. It's bent. And you have to know what it's like in order to deal with it. If you stand straight in a crooked world, you're going to stick out. And the world's going to say, you're the problem. Then he calls it also perverse. That translates a word that means distorted and it describes an abnormal moral condition. If you are honorable and noble and moral and you live that way and you speak that way in a perverse world, you're going to stand out by contrast. So, look at the command do all things without grumbling or disputing. God commands us in the most wicked, crooked, perverse, immoral of circumstances to constantly keep our attitude in, in check. The word grumbling is when you murmur or complain out loud about circumstances. We also saw that word in um, In in Jude, you can tell those who are the apostates, they grumble and find fault. You know very well that grumbling is infectious. You have to work hard to not let it infect you, especially when you hear it all around you and you need to make absolutely sure that you never spread it. And then there's the word disputing. You also kind of accidentally almost know this Greek word. It's the word dialogosmos, from which we get dialogue. It has the sense of reasoning against someone or against uh, something. As it's used in the New Testament, and especially in, in combination with the word grumbling, it has more the idea of evil thoughts. So it's, it's related to inward reflections on things where your, your lips aren't moving, but you're doubting, you're questioning, you're, you're, you're thinking those wrong things. Understand, God cares just as much about our nasty, snarky, critical thoughts as He cares about the complaining words that we so easily mutter or even blurt out loud. That's a strong command. It takes constant, constant vigilance to obey it Well, do all things without grumbling or disputing. So, when do you apply this? Anytime you're in the middle of anything. That's all. Okay, otherwise, you're excused. All things without grumbling or disputing. But look what comes from obeying this. As I said, it's all one sentence. The command is at the beginning. But look what happens. Do all things without grumbling and disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children of God, above reproach. This is how you prove to other people that you are a child of God. You don't go down the whining, complaining, grumbling, murmuring, doubting, whispering path. You trust Him so explicitly that complaining is never useful, it's never productive, and you know that. If you want one verse to give you a good reason to limit watching news, um, here it is. Does it help you glorify God, think about things that are good and beautiful and honorable, or does it help you grumble and complain? What do you want to fill your mind with? Now, I don't mean don't pay any attention. You know, if, if, if the road is washed out in front of you, I hope there's a sign there that says stop. You need, you need to know that you can find those out without saturating your mind in a bunch of ugly things. And then look what else. You will um, prove yourselves to be blameless in this world among whom you appear as lights in the world. If you want to honor Jesus' command, remember Matthew chapter 5, let your light shine before men so that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Well, what a glorious time to live because the backdrop is getting blacker and blacker and blacker. You light your light and by your attitude, just your attitude, even before you say the words of the gospel, you can prove yourselves to be lights in the world. Just by doing things... All things without grumbling or disputing, notice what else it says you get by doing all things without grumbling and and disputing, holding fast the word of life. doing all these things with the right attitude is how you display to the world that you live by a different standard, and they just might ask you to give a reason for the hope that is in you. How in the world can you have joy? Don't you know what a mess we're in Well. I have joy because I have an eternal inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, never fading away, and I'm kept by the power of God until I inherit it fully. Wow. And then he says, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory. Paul's talking about eternal rewards. He's basically saying, if you guys live like real Christians and therefore it shows that you are real Christians, (laughs) wow, I'm going to have reason to give glory to God for spreading the gospel through you. Now there's plenty to dislike about our world, but don't let it ruin your attitude. You prove yourself to be His child every day, one situation at a time, in all things by your attitude. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself in the same manner and you're going to stand out as a shining light for the glory of God. There has never been an easier time to shine for the glory of God because in our nation, in our world, things have never been this ugly. This is the very best time ever in the history of this nation to be a child of God and spread his gospel. But we need to know the, the woes, need to know how to prove ourselves, and then quickly one more passage, we need to know what sort of people to be. This is in Second Peter chapter 3 verses 11 and 12. Since all these things, Peter says, are to be destroyed in this way. Go ahead and read the earlier part of the chapter. He's talking about the world. Everything's going to be destroyed. And the mockers are saying, oh yeah, when's that going to happen? He says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? You see what he's saying? Judgment is coming. Just like Isaiah said. The wicked are flying high right now, but they will not prevail forever. When you understand God is going to judge the world with perfect, righteous judgment, when you understand that His wrath will be poured out, undiluted against sin and sinners, what do you do? Well, Peter put the answer into his rhetorical question here. What sort of people ought you to be? And then he defines what you're to be in holy conduct and godliness. I make no specific predictions for the coming year. I can tell you that um, the trajectory of our world is morally and spiritually downward and the degeneration is accelerating. I know that even in the world of professing Christians, there is what Charles Spurgeon dealt with in his day, a, a downgrade controversy. The compromise with the world is likewise accelerating among Christians. Denomination after denomination, two of the biggest ones in in America, are being rent in two right now with those that are standing for God's definition of marriage or of race are being driven out from that which they have built. Church after church and parachurch organizations alike are buying into the world's ways. Critical race theory is now rampant. Diversity equity, and inclusion, or DEI training. I don't think I knew that acronym a year ago. And now there's a whole bunch of people who are part of the Heritage Bible Church family that have had to go through it. Diversion, equity, and inclusion. That means we celebrate how diverse we are, but you're not welcome unless you think like we think you should. We believe in the equality of everyone except the opinion of those who stand for what God says. And we believe in total welcoming inclusion of everybody. But we will fire you in a moment if you don't kowtow to saying what we want you to say. And I have friends in ministry who are being squeezed out of crumbling organizations with which they've served for decades because they're being told that their view on marriage is, oh, it's antiquated. Oh, yeah, 6,000 years ago when God invented it in the book of Genesis, call that antiquated if you want to. I call it true. Our church and others like it are becoming more and more like islands of refuge from creeping liberalism, from critical race theory and assaults on marriage and morality. So my call to us is more than ever to be diligent, to be what the church is supposed to be. I don't think President Putin is going to invade Mexico or Canada. I don't think we're going to have a lot of refugees bombed out of their houses showing up where we can give them a bed and some food and the gospel. we're getting spiritual refugees all the time people saying oh my church grandma and grandpa took me there and now if you stand for what god says you're not welcome how sad may we be known for what well holy conduct and godliness May we prove ourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom we appear as lights in the world holding fast the word of life. Beloved, don't waste time and energy trying to restore a culture that is hell-bent on turning away from God and attacking those who love Him. That's not why we're here. I miss the way some things were when I was a kid. Uh, it, it, I wasn't even a Christian. But the world was more, way more Christian than a lot of Christians are today, if that makes any sense. We're here not to fix a broken culture. We're here to bear witness to the risen Christ, to proclaim the gospel, to be about serving Him as He builds His church, and that comes one soul at a time. So we know why God has left us here to enter a brand new year at least one more time through the calendar unless he takes us home before then. But why? Well, do you know anybody that doesn't know Christ? Well, there's part of your things to do list for the year. God left you here in order to be the conduit for the gospel God's church is not in trouble. man's church is. Um, let's be the real deal. We come together to worship and to serve, not to be served, not to have somebody give us what we want. We come to do all things without grumbling and disputing. That's a lofty standard. But rejecting with all our hearts everything that God helps uh, that God hates, that is a high calling, but it's worth pursuing. Oh, and by the way. It wouldn't be one of my traditional New Year messages if I didn't say, don't forget, this comes at a cost. 2 Timothy 3.12 Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But don't be afraid. <laughs> Peter wrote in the same kind of a setting, cast all your care on him for he cares for you. You do the casting, he'll do the caring the caring. I mentioned that we belong to something that's a lot older than us, a lot bigger than us. Well, if that's not an excuse to quote Charles Spurgeon, I don't know what is. I took a, one of his many, many and you, can, you can read that guy every day. You can read his morning and evening devotions are, are, are well worth it. Um, he, he often spoke um, extemporaneously, and then it got written down. And, and he came up with stuff like this. Let me just read this to you. I did, I did update it from his Elizabethan English, but that's all. He says this, How often do you and I stand stargazing into the future and trembling? Because we think we see various signs or warnings and strange sights which portend some future troubles. O oh, child of God, leave the future to your God Oh, leave everything that is to come in the hand of Him to whom the future is already present and who knows beforehand everything that shall befall you. Draw from the present living water with which to moisten the arid desert of the future. Snatch from the altar fires of today a torch with which to light up the darkness of that which is to come. Depend on it, that He who is today... Your son shall be the sun forever, shining even in the darkest hour. He shall shine upon you, and he who is today your shield shall be your shield forevermore. And even in the thickest part of the battle, he shall catch the dart, and you shall stand unharmed. Wow. I wish God would give me a mind to think like that about one hour a week. I would type like crazy. He got it, didn't he? Let's pray. Our Father, we, we come to you recognizing the kind of world in which we live and your beautiful sovereign, sovereign providence which has placed us here at this time. We come to you like that man who brought his demon-possessed son to Jesus and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Father, we confess how readily we slip into that consumer mentality of our world and we begin to seek what makes us comfortable and happy and grumble and dispute if we don't have it. Please, teach us to love what you love and to seek what honors and pleases you more than our own peace and comfort and affluence. Father, some of us here have employment which hangs in the balance if we speak up for you give us grace guide our paths and the way of righteousness for your namesake some of us have family members going down the the path of the LGBTQ philosophy and horrible errors and father We're your spokespeople for them. Give us wisdom, give us grace, compassion, boldness, and love as we speak truth. We confess how easily we fall into letting our feelings dominate our decision-making. Father, teach us to want to treat others as we want to be treated, and to do it without grumbling and disputing. We confess how we easily slip into regarding ourselves as the victims of the sins of others. And we, we get our feelings hurt, so we pull away. We blame others for hurting us, and we forget how our sin hurts you and drove your son to the cross. Please, let us learn to rejoice at doing all things without grumbling or disputing. And please, Lord. In the coming year, make Heritage Bible Church a place from which individual lights shine together for your glory when we gather, and then disperse into the dark, dark corners of the world that we encounter, and bring the light of your gospel to people in darkness of sin. Help us to love more than ever these precious times when we gather together. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen.